So today we'll start into a series over the next three weeks on biblical justice. And, and more than anything, I want to be a faithful witness to the scripture and to Jesus. Not to, not to anything in the society, not to anything in the news. I want to be a faithful witness unto Jesus. And I, even this week in prayer, the Lord dealing with my own heart, correcting me, speaking to me about how I must stand in his counsel, mark his word, and, and, and then proclaim truth from the word and not from anyone, any human or public opinion. And right now, there's such a current of public opinion. You, there's no lack of words on the right, on the left. There's no lack of emotion and sentiment. And the one that matters is the Lord's. And I, I feel very instructed and compelled by the Lord to incline my ear. That's what he said to me this week. He quoted Isaiah 55, verse 3 to me. He said, incline your ear and you will live. And then he asked me, what have you been inclining your ear to? And I was so convicted because I realized that I'm listening to so many opinions. and It's so easy just to go online and get who's saying what? What, what are they saying over here? And what's this one saying? And, and oh, yeah, I need that information. And, and you can get in a mode where you're inclining your ear to everyone but God. And he said, incline your ear to me and you shall live. And he said, how much are you inclining your ear to other sources besides me? And I was convicted. I hope that convicts you if you have been inclining your ear more to the voices in the media or social media than you have to the word of God, to the scripture, and to the Holy Spirit. I hope you feel convicted that those other voices are lesser voices and they're less important right now. And that we all must incline our ear to the Lord, to the word of God, and allow the word to anchor us, to plumb line us, and to speak truth to us. And so I'm just going to go ahead and begin to move through the notes today. I want to set a, a table to talk about biblical justice. And, and my, my deep, deep desire is that I would be faithful to the Lord in, in what I share. And, and, and you know what? There's a point where you just have to say it the way it is and let the chips fall where they may. And so there's this tension I feel because we're in a heightened emotional environment. We're in a heightened you know, environment culturally that there's sensitivity and pain and urgency all in the atmosphere. But I feel like we have to have clarity and we have to speak the word of God with truth, even if it costs us something. So just working through the outline, it's there uh, if you... If you don't have it, you can get it on prayermissionschurch.com. They're going to post it on our Facebook. They always do. But just working through the outline, I want to start with building a foundation for us of understanding. How do we get, if we're talking about biblical justice, how do we get to the place of comprehending what God is talking about when he's talking about justice? And we just have to remind ourselves a few things. One, we have to remind ourselves that God the Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, they are three in one. They are the center of reality. The throne of God is the center of reality. God is the only one who defines reality. And the closer we are to God, the closer we are to reality. And the alternate is true. The further we get from God, the further we are from reality. And another way of saying reality is truth truth. God is the definer of truth. God's definitions define truth. Human definitions do not define truth. God alone does. So when we read the scripture, the truth of the word has to stand over us. It has to stand over our opinion. It has to stand over our experience. And it has to dictate to us what is truth and from there, we have to accord our lives with truth, with reality. And to the extent that we reject truth from the Lord, from the word of God, is the extent that we are separate from reality. 
and separate from truth and into deception. Am I making any sense? And so the word of God is our anchor. It is our plumb line. We have to be connected to his truth so we can be anchored in truth. Now, when we're away from truth we, and we, we, we engage other definitions, other opinions, uh, other thoughts, what happens is we, we don't, many times, I see believers do this all the time, they import other opinions into their worldview that are not the truth from the Lord. They sound good. They have momentum on them. Oftentimes, they're socially acceptable. But what happens is when we engage other opinions that are not anchored in the scripture, what happens is we find ourselves in opposition to God's ways. And one of the big challenges that we're experiencing right now is a definition of terms. Because there's a lot of terms being used. And, and, and so what happens is the, the God's definitions of, of the words that are being used oftentimes are different than the world's definition of this exact same words. You'll hear the same words, but they're actually, they don't mean the same things. And so we have to understand God, his nature, the knowledge of him, understand his thoughts, his appeal. Uh, opinions, his feelings, so that we can have truth in the knowledge of who he is, and therefore we can discern falsehood, deception, and, and even when the same terminology is used, and it's actually not going for the same thing that God's talking about. And this, that might sound like complex, but it, it, it's not really, if you think about it, in the earth, I mean, we see how in the world, the, the, the concept of love, for instance, the word for love, the, when God's talking about love, he's talking about a God kind of love, a, a love that's rooted in righteousness, a, a love that, that's, that suffers long, and a love that prefers others and lays itself down. And oftentimes when we hear love used by the world, oftentimes we're talking about a, a selfish love that does for me and, and what I want. And people will say this. They'll say, yeah, I, 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 just, I just fell out of love with that person. Well, according to the scripture, love isn't something you fall into and fall out of. It's something you apply your heart to that God releases in you and you choose to engage with. And so there's these, these terms that we use like big ones, like love, that's redefined in the culture. We watched love get redefined in the last five to seven years in a way that just basically meant you can do whatever you want. Anything goes and it's love. No, that is not truth. That's deception. And when the church has embraced the mentalities of the world and, and, and allowed the world to co-opt the words and then allowed the world to assign different definitions and then embrace those definitions, the church has gotten into deception. Love, truth, freedom. These are all terms that are used that the world has changed the definitions of. And justice is another one. Justice is a term that's being thrown around a ton right now. And I realize this, that most believers who I've talked to have no working biblical understanding of the word justice. It's this ethereal word that means something about getting things done right, people getting paid back or something. We need justice. I'll tell you, we need justice. We need justice more than anyone of us really understand. But the comprehensive nature of justice will make you tremble when you understand what justice is, biblically speaking. And when that revelation begins to birth in your soul and you understand what God's talking about with justice, you will, in the same moment crying for justice, you will cry for mercy. Because justice is far broader than an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And you did him wrong, now we're gonna do you wrong. That is not God's version of justice. And we have to get this in the church really, really clear. So that when the world is crying for justice, we comprehend 
that they're not crying for God's justice. They're crying for something else. And if we put our, our voice together with that cry, we're crying for something that's different than what God is asking for. And we need to get ourselves to the place where we do not co-opt definitions from the world on words they've co-opted from the church. We've got to get biblical understanding of the nature and the knowledge of God so that we can declare with truth and clarity and boldness what God is, what he's asking. And so that when we ask for things like justice, we understand the ramifications of it. The implications of justice are vast. I read an article this week by a guy named David French, a friend of mine, Will Ford, had he referred this to me. He said, hey, check this guy out. He's a, he's a writer. He, 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 uh, he, he's, he's, he's a conservative who writes about the things that conservatives don't like to hear about. He talks about systemic racism. He talks about all these you know, taboo subjects that, that conservative people don't ever touch or spend a lot of their time you know, trying to shoot down and you can check him out. David French is his name. But he referenced this interesting, so simple thought. It's this old axiom called Miles Law. Miles Law is a principle that just simply says this. It says, wherever you stand depends on where you sit. Where you stand depends on where you sit. And it simply means this, that our viewpoint is influenced by our cultural, social, spiritual experiences. That, that whatever our viewpoint is right now, it's a function of where we've been sitting, what we've been receiving, what we've been hearing. I, I've been thinking about this over the last month that I can almost tell you who you listen to in, in your newscasts just by the talking points that I hear coming out of you. It's, 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 it's pretty fascinating. And so the reason why you can have in our world today two people that they grow up maybe in very similar circumstances, but they have completely different viewpoints, it's because of this, what they've been experiencing, what they've been hearing, what they've been walking through themselves. It's not about right or wrong. It's just about that helps locate you. And it's the same reason why the world uses definitions that are different than the church. And it's required for us that we would sit in the counsel of the Lord. We would sit under the word. We would hear his voice. We would sit at his feet. We would incline our ear. I was burdened when the Lord spoke that, incline your ear to me. I, I reached out to another friend of mine. And the next day, I said, hey, hey, talk to me. Uh, uh, you know, what do you feel like the Lord's saying? And man, I, this, it just went through me. I, I said, I feel like the Lord's been speaking to me, saying, incline your ear to me. Who will believe my report? And, and he said this, he goes, I woke up yesterday, which would have been the same day that the Lord was speaking, incline your ear to me. He said, the Lord, he goes, I came out of bed. And the Lord said, don't stand in the counsel of the ungodly. I just went, man, it's exactly what he's speaking to my heart. See, God has an opinion about all this. Let's read Psalm 1, verse 1. I'm going to get into defining justice, but I have to set a foundation from which we are able to, to bounce, what we're trampolining from, what we're building from. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. You know, this verse, you, you know, you could just take it lightly and go, well, if you want to prosper, yeah, get in the Bible. 
this verse has so much more depth to it. And, and it's right, and Psalm 1 comes right before Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is Jesus returning to judge the nations for their injustices. Psalm 1 is the, it's, it's the requirement to be able to be engaged with the heart of the Lord through everything that God says and does. And he says, there's a blessing on you. And he says, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful, the scoffers. But notice the progression. When you walk in the counsel of the wicked, you're listening to wicked counsel. You're walking, listening to the input from the world. What happens is eventually you quit walking and you start standing. Now you're, you're no longer just walking along hearing it. You've stopped moving, and now you're standing in the way with sinners. And then when you stop walking and start standing, eventually you're sitting. And when you take a seat, you're in the seat of the scornful or the scoffers. That, that idea is one who is in opposition to God. Do you see the progression? We can't just say, well, you know, I really like, I really like this newscaster and that newscaster. And, you know, the things that they say, that's really good stuff. If it's not Bible, it's not good stuff. No one poisons someone by putting a block of poison in front of them and going, I hope they eat that. They feed them something that they would naturally like. They give them a drink that they would naturally want to drink. And, and the best poisons are indiscernible. You don't even know you've ingested it until it starts manifesting in you. And this is what I see right now. In, at the end of the age, Matthew 24, Jesus says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And, and what you might think is, oh, the deception is about, you know, just following Antichrist or something really, you know, just the, the most, you know, cosmic version of deception. No, no. I think it goes like in, in measures and in, in steps and little paces and, and just little bits by bit. You, you, you know, it's, it's death by a, a, a thousand paper cuts. And it's the, the deception that's woven in to language that sounds similar, but it's not the same. It's these little deceptions and, and where you can find the, the, the reality in it, whether it's deception or whether it's truth is, does it, is it going for the things that Jesus is after? I mean, just, just hear me right now. When we're watching our newscasts, are they going for what Jesus prayed for in John 17? Are they shooting for John 17 oneness? Are they shooting for Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, where, where, where Paul expresses how we are one in the gospel in Christ? Are they going for that? Is that the motive that's behind it? Because if that's not the motive, don't drink it. That motive will kill you because their motives are to divide. Their motives are greed. The, the, the Bible is so filled with terminology about people like this. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And they, they manipulate with their words. Smooth as butter, but their teeth are like sharp knives. He's giving that ex explanation in Psalms. It's a, it's a picture of the spirit of Antichrist. And I can tell where you're standing right now based on where you've been sitting. And I had to do my own work, my own soul this week, and I was realizing I'm not sitting at his feet in the way I need to. I'm not hearing his voice because there's upheaval, there's, there's pandemic, there's crisis, there's racism, there's all these things. I need to know, I need to know, I need to know. And, and, and God's going, I need to talk to you. You don't need to know all that. I need to talk to you. I'll just tell you what happened. This is just private, but I'll just share it. Um, I, uh, so I'm, I, it's, it's last, it's Tuesday a week ago. And, um, I get a text early in the morning 
And it's uh, from one of our friends, Mary Beth and I have a long-standing relationship with this woman. She's a mom, wife, she's a preacher, the word. Uh, she's black. She's uh, not African-American, but she's deeply involved in the cause of racial reconciliation. She's brilliant. She's in six languages. She's an intercessor. She reaches out to me, and she says in a text, will you pray with me today for the officer that killed George Floyd? in this text. She says, can you imagine what his family is going through? Can you imagine what his children are going through? She said, that man's life is, is almost over. She said, the Lord lost an image bearer in George Floyd, but this man could be like Paul the Apostle. And I mean, I read the text, I went, <clears throat> you know, in my heart, just I just I, I mean, I, I I agreed quickly and brushed it aside. And twice in the day, I said, "Lord," and I had to look the man's name up, Derek Chauvin or Coven. I said, "Lord, help that guy." That's it. And we were in our prayer meeting at 4 p.m. that day. It was our all staff, all community prayer meeting, and I'm sitting there, and the Lord said, "Did you pray?" Because I said to the I said to my friend, yes, I'll pray with you. He said, did you pray for that man the way she asked you? And I just went, no. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to. And the Lord began to convict me so deeply. of My own sin of judgment of my own rebellion against the word of God. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who spitefully use you. Love your enemies. And I know this is a cultural context that this could be taken all sorts of ways. Some may say, oh, that's easy for you because of your culture. It wasn't easy for me. And it wasn't the issue of whether I should pray for this man because he's white or not. The issue was this man is an offender. This man deserves to be, to be punished. He, he deserves justice. And then the Lord began to deal with me. Does he deserve my justice any more than you deserve my justice? And I found myself in heart in opposition to Jesus. Because in my flesh, yes, he deserves justice. Retributive justice. But the more I realized the Lord calling me to account, he's saying, you don't know what spirit you're of. I, uh, I, I credit Will again. I was talking to Will, and he brought up this point, and maybe I'll teach it, but just this point, and, and, and I've never thought of this. Do you remember when Jesus and the disciples were trying to go through the land of the Samaritans, they wouldn't let them go through, and then the disciples turned around and they said, you want us to call fire down on them? And, and, and Jesus goes, you don't, you don't know what spirit you're of because it's not, it's not how I do. Well, Will points out that it's a chapter or two later when Jesus is explaining doing justly to your neighbor. He tells a parable of the good Samaritan, the one who had just done racial injustice to him. And that what's in the mind of the Lord in terms of how we win the, the one who is an enemy towards us is so different than what's in our minds. 
I'm so convicted, guys. Just being honest, just so convicted. So I've preached extensively on justice over the years. I've gotten notes and notes, pages and pages of notes on justice. I've got pages and pages of notes on racism and, and, and the injustice of American racism and, and, and the fallacy of race as a construct. I've got pages of notes on these things, preached hours on it, talked thousands of hours on this over the last 25 years. And there I am, pinned by the Lord, realizing I haven't believed his word. I haven't believed his report. So back to the drawing board for me. Back to the word. Back to truth. So I want to take the rest of our time today and just simply define justice. Just walk through what the Bible says about justice, what God thinks about justice, and try to get us some kind of working definition on the concept of justice so that we don't take our cues from the world, from people that are living in opposition to God. Now, listen, the world is not our enemy. Lost people are not our enemy. People that are hurting and doing broken things, they're not our enemy. Our enemy is Satan. Satan loves to play people against one another. It's what he does. He loves to divide. Diabolos means one who divides. He loves to set people against one another. Jesus prophesied in Matthew chapter 24. He said, nation will rise against nation at the end of the age. It's part of Satan's strategy. But Jesus said, this is going to happen. And it's part of the shakings that will happen unto the birthing of the kingdom of God. There is a greater end that's coming. But I'm not going to listen to the report of the enemy. So we've got to get anchored to the word. All right. The Old Testament word for justice, it, it, it's used 135 times. It's mishpat. Uh, the word for righteousness, tzedekah, it's used about 300 times. So, so justice about 135 times, uh, uh, righteousness about 300 times. But this is what's interesting is that they're used together 50 times. They show up as twins about 50 times. And the reason why that is, is because these two terms are so interlinked. They're so interlaced. They really, uh, they, they feed off of one another in a, in a very interesting way. And so when we talk about righteousness, which I'm not going to spend a ton of time on, but when we talk about righteousness, it has to do with living according to God's ways, God's will, God's desires, and God's values. When we're talking about righteousness, we're living according to God's will, his ways, his desires, and his values. That's righteousness. Humans can't do that. Human beings cannot do that. Because of sin, we are all encased under the shadow of unrighteousness. We need a savior to deliver us from our, our hopeless, helpless uh, you know, you know, um, addiction to sin and unrighteousness. That's the blood of Jesus. He is the savior. Jesus shed his blood to deliver us from unrighteousness so that we now have the ability to live according to God's will, his ways, his desires, and his values. Now, what happens so often in in evangelical churches is we emphasize the issue of righteousness and we, we just make it as simple as this, right standing with God. But the, the, the thing about righteousness is it is not simply a vertical proposition. Righteousness has a linked outcome to it, which has horizontal implications. And the horizontal manifestation of righteousness is justice. So to say, to say it a different way, justice is enacting righteousness towards men. It's enacting righteousness towards men. It's it's when we work righteousness for others. Now hear this. The root of all injustice is sin. Because again, 
justice is the outworking of righteousness, so injustice is the outworking of unrighteousness. So, so sin is, it's the nucleus of all injustice. And so here's the deal. We have to catch this. All injustice is firstly injustice against God. It's firstly sin against God. So if any human mistreats another human, they've enacted injustice against that other person, but at the root of it, it's because they are unrighteous towards the Lord. Does that make sense? And so when we catch this, then we understand that righteousness towards God manifests injustice towards men. That's kind of my most simple way to show you how they're linked. And when you see like Jesus, what you, what you, when you get your mind around these terms in real simple ways, when you see Jesus, you realize what Jesus is preaching is justice. And, and if we can just simplify the ideas, I'm doing righteousness on behalf of someone else. I'm doing it to or for someone else. I'm doing righteousness. Then when you look at Jesus' teachings like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is a justice teaching. Does that make sense? The working out of righteousness on behalf of someone else. So when we're walking through this, you have to think firstly, what does God think about justice? And I've got several verses. Psalm 33, verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. What's God think about it? He loves it. So when we see justice being enacted, God loves that. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. He loves justice. He loves righteousness. Well, the the opposite would be true. He hates unrighteousness. He hates injustice. Psalm 89, verse 14, an oft quoted, often quoted scripture that I don't think we have much more depth on than just being able to quote it. You could probably quote it with me. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. What does that mean? That means that everything he does, every action, every judgment, every movement of mercy, everything that God does, he does it from this place of righteousness and justice together. Holiness, righteousness, justice, and mercy, they all work together. If it's justice, it's righteous. Hear that. If it's justice, it's righteous. And if it's righteous, it's true. You can't have deception that works righteousness that works justice. It's the foundation of his throne. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He's the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. All his ways are justice. A God of truth without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. All his ways are justice. Well, that just lets me know. If it's the way of the Lord, then it's justice. But if it's not the way of the Lord, it's not justice. Am I making sense? This is critical. Because now what we understand is that God is the definer of justice. Does it look like God? If it is God, then it's justice. And I would just, before you say, well, well, yeah, if it doesn't look like God, it's injustice. I would just propose this, that we may not always know what God's justice really looks like. That when he moves in justice, it's not always something everybody agrees with. In fact, if you really get your mind around when God moves in justice, it will cause you to tremble, as I said a moment ago. All his ways are justice. A God of truth or a God of faithfulness without injustice. One other verse, I love it. 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. Let me just read it to you. The Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, who takes no bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. See, he says, this is what I'm like. You be like that. But man, that phrase shows no partiality. Another way to say it is God is no respecter of persons. Every person is valuable. Every person is equally valuable. Every human being is equally valuable. And when you see God dealing with this within the church, it's continual that they're dealing with this in the New Testament. And Paul expounds on this point because he's dealing with Jews and Gentiles who both companies thought the other company was lesser than. So he's emphasizing the necessity of each part doing their share, each person being a recipient of grace, each person being caught under sin, but being liberated by the mercy of God. And each person valuable. And that's why he, when Paul's giving the, the exposition on, on the, the body of Christ, how he talks about we, we give more honor to our least honorable parts. Why? Because each one is valuable. There's no partiality in God. And this is what the heart of a God who is ruling from a throne of righteousness and justice is like. That's what he's like. You know, we, we have this picture of, of Lady Justice, and she's, she's got a blindfold and a scale, and, and justice is blind. And it's just, it's just according to equity. But I would tell you that that picture is not accurate of God because he isn't blind, and he's not unfeeling. He cares about it, but he's impartial. What does that mean? He takes no bribe. What does that mean? It means you cannot bargain with him to make him like it the way you like it. That we have to engage with him because every other opinion will be brought to nothing. Every other mountain will be leveled. And we cannot come to God and say, this is the way it should be. And this is the cry of a human heart that doesn't know God, they say, you're unjust. And he says, you don't know what justice is. I'm the definer of justice. And when we look at God's justice, we find this. There's different facets to it. There's different components to it. I'm going to go through them briefly. But what we find is this. When God moves in justice, he's always moving in mercy. Consider this, Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ, tortured and put to death on the cross. It is the single most powerful act of justice we've ever seen where God, he, he releases upon Jesus the justice due sin for all humankind forever in one act, the cross. And simultaneously, it's the greatest act of mercy the earth has ever seen because in one act of God moving in justice, he also exonerates the guilty in a merciful act of grace. When God does justice, he always moves in mercy. So what does justice look like? How do we get handles on this thing? I, and this is just, you know, I get 40 something minutes to try to get this out. We're gonna do three weeks, I'm gonna do my best in three weeks, I can scratch the surface a little bit on who God is and as a God of justice. It's in his very name, Exodus 34. I'm just gonna throw this out there. When you hear God, he says, the Lord, he, he declares his name to Moses. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, abounding in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. It doesn't stop there. He goes, by no means clearing the guilty. See, justice isn't something he does. Justice is something he is. And thus, he's the definer of it. So, the Lord says to us, he says, uh, 
I require something of you, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Could you say require? Require. But to do justly, to love mercy. See how they go hand in hand. And to walk humbly with your God. This verse is so weighty because it's not just a suggestion. Justice isn't something you get to opt in on or opt out of. Justice is God's requirement for humanity, that we would engage with his truth, with his righteousness, and then we would manifest righteousness towards one another. He says, I require it of you. I require that you do justly and love mercy. It's not just about getting a hunk of flesh for a hunk of flesh. Psalm 146, he says this about himself. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Now watch the list. He's going to give you the list of who he wants your antenna up for when it comes to doing justice. Who executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. But, But the wicked, he turns upside down. When you read the volume, I mean, just 130 passages in the Old Testament about justice, you find There is a group who God emphasizes the most, who are the most vulnerable. And he emphasizes doing justice on their behalf. That that the manifestation of justice is about seeking out the vulnerable and doing for them things that they cannot do for themselves. And the group he emphasizes is the widow, the orphan, the foreigner or the stranger, the poor and the oppressed. And he literally says, seek out those peoples and do justice on their behalf. And and so when he's saying do justice on their behalf, there's these components of justice. There is, there's sort of this reparative or restorative justice. That, that, that we, the righteous, are supposed to do. We're supposed to do reparative justice. And, and then there's this sort of retributional justice. And it happens in a couple ways. And so I'm just going to explain those things and we'll be done for today. But, but the restorative justice, it's taking action on behalf of those who have suffered injustice. The oppressed the foreigner, the poor, the widow, the orphan. It's doing for them what they could never do for themselves. I'm so blessed by the ministry. We have so many justice initiatives, we don't even think of them as justice initiatives. But like the justice initiative that we have that is our outreach to the foster care community. Children that are orphans, that are raised in foster homes. And there's so many in our spiritual family that have just been, I mean, just gripped with the vision of doing for the orphan what they could never do for themselves and and taking the orphan and putting them in families and loving them and pouring into them and discipling them. That is a justice action. Do you see that? That's restorative. It's giving that orphan a family when they have no way to have one. Jesus, he he, he talks about this. He says, when you give your alms to the poor, not if, sowing into the poor. He's right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving us justice, restorative justice actions to do. Well, whoever is a stranger to you, that may be struggling, helping them, lifting them. Whoever is oppressed among you, helping them, lifting them. A widow, an orphan, the poor. But Jesus adds a couple points. Number one, he adds this. When you do justice, 
Don't tell everybody. Don't make it about you. He says, do it unto God in secret. And then God who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's about doing justice. We do it unto the Lord. Why do we do justice? Because the social climate demands it? No, because God requires it. Do you see that? If we can get our minds around God's burning heart for justice, then engaging in justice is engaging with God. So he says, do this not for men. Do it under your father. Father, I love you. I want to feed the hungry. Father, I love you. I want to reach out of my culture into another culture to one that's a stranger to me and see if I can help. I'm a, I'm a majority culture. Let me see if I can help somebody who's struggling as a minority. Let's see. How can I do that? That's called justice for the stranger. And then Paul adds and he says, listen, it doesn't matter if you give all your money to the poor. If you have not love, it profits you nothing. So Jesus plumb lines it. It's unto the father and not unto men. And Paul says, and it's because of love, not to get your back scratched politicians. We don't do justice so to get up the ladder. Pastors, leaders, churchgoers, we don't do righteous actions so someone will see us and hopefully we'll get more power. The only way we can do justice, truly do justice, is unto God motivated by love or it's not justice at all. It's hypocritical. And that's why the world's expressions fall so woefully short of what God is talking about when he's talking about justice. What is justice? If I could just encapsulate it. It's living a radical, selfless, self-sacrificing lifestyle that continually prefers others above yourself in order to bless them and lift them in any way possible, looking for the vulnerable and, and, and acting on their behalf. That's justice. That's restorative justice. It's not implied in the scripture. It's required in the scripture. It's normative Christianity. It's living by God's ways and God's values. That's justice. Proverbs 31, 80 says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Speak up for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Amazing. He actually says rights. See, because we're all created in the image and likeness of God, we're all image bearers. There's black image bearers, there's white image bearers, there's, there's brown image bearers, there's, there's yellow image bearers, there's all spectrum of, of, of skin tones and colors, and we're image bearers. And, and by virtue of being an image bearer, we're all the same in value. And he goes, and those among you that have been oppressed, that are, that are, that are needy, that are poor, speak up for them. Give some of your, your ability on their behalf to lift them. That's justice. This is not about what a news channel says is justice. It's not about Fox News or MSNBC. Beloved, hear me. We do not need a word from the right or from the left. We need a word from above. We need a word from God and quit mixing it up. I've had Christians say to me, well, you're just so political. I go, no, it has nothing to do with politics. I'm biblical. These are not political issues. These are spiritual issues. They're God's requirement for, for believers. I, 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 I mourn and lament the fact that it's been mixed up in, in politics. 
the church, if the church was leading on, on biblical ideology, if the church is leading on kingdom ideology, there would be no place for the, the politicians to, to get their hands into it. Now, God bless you if you're a politician and you want to enact justice and bring the kingdom in, in those spheres. God bless you. Now, the last portion, just two minutes and we're done. Justice involves reparational, restorative justice, but it also involves retributional justice. And there's two measures in which that is enacted. It's really clear in the Bible. God uses, for retributional justice, he uses human means. That when somebody would trespass the laws of the governing authorities, there is actually a consequence to the trespass of the laws. That's God's that's one way that God administers justice. It doesn't mean that every governing authority only ever acts on behalf and by God's will, but it does mean that God puts governing authorities in place. Romans 13, one through seven is absolutely clear. He puts them in place to be avengers of the Lord for justice. It's so, so, so clear. If we need to walk through that in a day ahead, I will. But that is a measure of retributive justice, that when somebody breaks and trespasses, the, 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 they sin, they, they do an unrighteous action, injustice in the earth, that they are met with consequences. That is one of God's measures of retributive justice. But the finality, and this is where I want to land, the finality of retributive justice will only be enacted the fullness of it will only be enacted when Jesus Christ returns. Isaiah 42 is clear that when he comes, he's coming to bring justice to the nations. And when Jesus comes to bring justice to the nations, he is gonna make all the wrong things right. He is going to comprehensively look at every injustice and only he has the perfect perspective. He will comprehensively, he has full understanding of every injustice that's ever happened in the earth. And he will come with fire in his eyes, with a sword in his mouth. He will overthrow the thrones of iniquity and he will bring justice to the nations. The retributive version of Jesus' justice is fearsome. It should cause you to tremble and it should be, it should be so alive in your eyes that you recognize that the eternal punishment that Jesus is releasing on the unjust is something that's due you were it not for the cross of Christ. So then when you see with real vividness the eternality of hell, of torment, of, of being completely under the justice of God, you realize there's only one thing for me to say. It's mercy. 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 